Hey, some of you who are like, hey, um, I, I, thought, I feel like I kind of get, I know you guys don't listen to everything I say, but maybe you remember me saying, hey, this is our last week in the series. I hate to see it go. Yeah, I lied. Uh, I really did hate to see it go, and that's why we're still in. And the whole reason that, that we're not, and we haven't, is I just couldn't shake. As I tried to, I, I had like seven different other directions we could go, and I, and I just felt like there was still fruit on the trees that we hadn't taken off, examined, and allowed to nourish us. And specifically speaking, today I want to lean into the heart of the men in the room. We have a conversation around solid ground. And then again, I, I'm not doing this again to say, hey, there's a, there's a higher emphasis or there's a better calling or a higher calling placed on a man as opposed to a woman. I just know that things change in an exponentially strong way when men of God begin to rise up into the true calling that they have. For many years, why Jesus' blood may have been the thing that initiated and kick-started the church, the backbone of the church for a lot of churches, and maybe even sometimes this one, has been women. I, I see the rosters of the list that serve in different areas and the different things that go on, and, 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 I, and I know the names and the gender that's attached to them. And so I'm having this conversation because, like I said, at the beginning of this, when we leaned into some stuff, I don't need to tell you stories or I don't need to give you stats on why it's important for men to, to step up and lead as God's called them to lead because you have a story. Every person in this room has a story where they can look back and either one, point to a man of God who did amazing things, who was a good father for you, who cared for you, who spoke life into you and how it radically changed your life. And it's a nightmare for you to think about what life would have been like without him in your life. And the same part, I don't have to give you a bunch of stats about why we could lean into this because me in this room, you have a story of a man who abandoned you, whether it's a father, whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's a fiance or a husband. You have a story of a man who may have taken more than you were willing to give or who took something from you thinking that you were gonna get something in return and you never got that thing in return. And my call is for such a time as this, if we're gonna talk about building on solid ground, building um, not just a life for us individually, but as a church family, I think it is essential that we lean into this. And again, you guys have been around here enough. I don't spend, this isn't a normal thing to say, hey, I'm gonna specifically lean in. Now, now, ladies in the room, hear me on this. You may have to do a little extra math, but all the things I'm getting ready to talk about, they can apply to you too. I'm just for the sake of explanation, for the sake of leaning into some of the application and stretching out some of the points, I'm gonna lean into the heart of men. And then at the end of this, guys, I'm gonna invite you to a moment where you get to step up and step into something where we can kind of have a, a, a line in the sand moment where we say from this day forward, my life began to change. And that's been my whole hope and prayer with this whole series is that we could be able to look back and say, that was where I began to lean into some things. That's where things began to actually get different in my life. No, I didn't get perfect. No, I didn't just magically flip-flop and change overnight. But from that moment forward, that's when things began to open up. Something changed. That was a catalyst. Something broke free. And I've been seeing this happen. Like over the course of the last few weeks, I've had all sorts of kind of things kind of walk into my office. Guys walk into my office, confess different things, share different things, heavy stuff. I've had people say, hey, we need to get counseling. I've seen God be moving in some miraculous ways. Three weeks in a row, somebody's gone into baptism water and say, my old life is being buried dead and I'm being raised up new, whether that's a little kid or an 89-year-old woman. God is on the move. And I can't go through all that we've been through, and not hit it with a summary and say, here's where we go from here, all right? So that's what we're gonna lean into. Now, I wanna take us back to where it all began. 
the whole kickstart of this series started with Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our perfect Lord and Savior, looking at a, at a crowd of people on a hillside on the shore of Galilee. He looked over the crowd, he saw all these people. He saw people who had eternal destinations. He didn't see skin color and, and faces and hairdos and, and okay, they look like they got a little bit more money. They don't. He saw souls that had an eternal destination in heaven or hell. He saw people who were gonna face that eternal judgment. He saw people who were gonna spend an eternity in one of those two places. And so what he did is he invited them to sit down and then he, the, the tradition in their, teacher, or in their way of doing things is like the teacher would actually sit down and then the people would listen. So he sat down. And he walked them through these things that they had never heard before because all they had ever heard were Pharisees and religious teachers. And he said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all the poor in spirit people who had always felt like they were the have nots, they went, wow. So this thing, I can get on this thing? He said things like, hey, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you might as well have already committed adultery with her. You have. He said, if you get angry with a brother and you say, you fool, you might as well have just killed him. He took where the religious bar was and he set it as a new standard. He said, I don't care what religion requires. I'm talking about what love requires. He came out and he said, hey, look, God knows what you need. He's a father who loves you and cares for you. Look at the birds, look at the, look at the plants, look at all these things. Like, can't you see that God loves you and cares for you? Ask, seek, knock. You have a father who loves you, cares for you, and wants to provide for you. He told them how to live the good life. And at the end of that whole thing, he said this parable. He said, any person, he just said a lot of words. And he said, if anybody hears these words of mine and they put them into practice, they're like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The winds came, the floodwaters rose, the storm hit the house, but it stood because it was built on a firm foundation. And then he said, anybody who hears these words of mine all the things that I said, they can believe things are true about them. They hear these words of mine, but they do not put them into practice. He's like a foolish man who built his house instead of on the rock of obedience and trust in my words, built his house on sand. The wind came, floods rose, the storm rushed in, and he ends his whole entire message with these words. And the house fell with a great crash. And the people around the room, they're kind of looking at him like you're looking at me going, what's next? That, that's how the story ends? They're like, you know, they're writing bad Google reviews on his message that day. Like, went to church here, message kind of ended bleak. Um, and they, they, they end with this call to action. And that's what I want today to be, to be this moment where we kind of go like, which way are you going to go? Like, am I going to hear and believe these things that Jesus says are true? Hear all these things that we've walked through for the last six weeks about what does it look like to build my life on solid ground? And then kind of get to this place where we go, am I going to do it or not? Is this going to be who I am or not? Or am I going to be the person who comes, sits, and goes, I acknowledge that all that is true, but I want to do what I want to do. So that's where we're going today. Let's pray and dive in. Jesus, I don't know what in the world you were doing and bringing all these people here today, but for some reason, you brought every single soul here into this moment today whether they're watching online or they're here in person, you have brought them here. And I praise you for the fact that you've brought them here. And I glorify you for the fact that you've brought them here because God, I believe that they are not gonna leave here the same way. I still believe that the power of the gospel has that much potential to change lives. So Jesus, we beg you to move, do the things that only you can do and allow us, God, to in everything that we do, be open 
how you would move, how you would work, but what you would do in and through our lives. In your name, amen. All right, so let's recap a little bit and then get where we're going. All right, so this whole Solid Ground series started out week one saying, okay, what's the whole point of us building a life on solid ground? Like what's our, our point in life? And we, we summed up what's your point in life? Two words, to glorify God and to magnify God. To glorify means to give him the praise that he is actually due. To magnify means to make him look like and seem like he really is to the world looking on. So we have this scary thought to kind of explain what that means. But like if somebody watched you parent all week long for those parents in the room, and at the end of that, they said, and this is what God is like, that would be your life. If they looked at how you spend money all week long, and at the end of that, they looked at that, they could go, and this is what God is like. That's what it means to glorify God, to make him seem like the God he actually is. And God created us in that way. He created us in his image, in his likeness. No other thing was created in God's image and likeness. No zebras, giraffes, mountains, goats, none of them, not even mountain goats, were created in his, Im in his image. We are the only ones. And from there we said, not only did God create us in his image, he also, as the king and ruler of the universe, he gives us not just his image, but he gives us his authority to rule and to reign. And we said that what this life here on earth is, is this middle ground that is training for reigning. That the Bible starts with us in the garden, Adam and Eve, even pre-sin in the garden, ruling, reigning, managing, taking care of the territory that they have. And then we fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, and we're actually doing the same thing. That It says we are heirs with Christ. Because we're co-heirs with Christ, we will reign with Christ. From cover to cover, there's this message that you, if you're in Christ, there's divine blood in you. So we surrender to that. We surrender to that king's reign and rule so that we can rule here in a way that glorifies and magnifies him. We obey that. And then we talked about, when we talked about obeying, well, we obey and obeying is what actually shows that we are actually surrendered to that God. Because it's one thing to go, I surrender to you, but you show that you're actually surrendered by the very first thing he does or he tells you to do after you say, I'm surrendered. He says, you say, I'm surrendered. He says, break up with them. Okay, we're gonna see if you're surrendered or not. Not by what you said, but by what you do. And from there, we talked about love. We leaned in heavy to love to say love is the centrifugal thing that this whole solid ground thing is built on. And we made this really big point that love, if it is not sacrificial, it is not love. It may be a good feeling, it may be lust, it may be infatuation, but if it's not sacrificial, not willing to give, not willing to let go, not willing to release some of itself for the sake of the thing that it is loving, then it is not love. And we talked about the thing we all are tending to do is drift. And when we hit I, we're saying we gotta be intentional. In this world, Satan is intentionally trying to pull you away, to drag you away, drag you away, lure you away, slowly get you to drift away from the things of God. And so we have to swim upstream. And if you want to drift, the only thing you have to do is do nothing. And last week, we lend into this simple truth that there is an enemy out there who wants to steal, kill, and undermine everything that is your life. Those of you with kids in the room, he doesn't just want them to uh, not get into the college of their dreams. He wants to mutilate, abuse, and leave them abandoned. He wants every one of the kids that are down there in children's ministry to not make it through high school because they killed themselves. That is his goal. That's what he's after. If you don't see the things that he's working in to try to make that happen already, you're blind. That's his goal. That's his strategy. So we, because there is so much on the line, have to be willing to defend. And the way we defend is by the truth that is found in God's word. You see, we come to all that and we hear all that. And if you're anything like me, you go back and you listen maybe through some of his message, you catch up. For those of you men in the room, you, you came to you know, men's ministry and you, and you got leaned into some more. If you're anything like me, you hear all this and you go, it's a lot. 
I don't think I can do that. I've, tr- I, I've been in a series like this before. I've gone through talks like this before where I felt something in my guts kind of well up and I got fired up and I had a good week and I gutted some things out. I, I had brutal self-control. I said no to everything. But then I remember that weak moment when I was alone and that same old sin slithered way back into my life. And you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can carry this. This is a lot. I don't know if I can carry this on my own. I think I'm gonna fail. Well, let me tell you, that feeling is a good thing because it is true that on your own, you will fail. But here's the good news. You were never meant to carry this on your own. And, and here's the good news. You actually can't do it on your own. So take a deep breath, release that pressure, fellas. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot build on solid ground on your own. It is only by surrendering to Jesus and him showing you how to build it. And that's why we take a deep breath, we relax, and we go, okay, Jesus, you want this to be something that we do together. And the way we get to do that together is by this thing called the gospel. This reality that God looked down at us and said, they will never be good enough to get back to this garden environment. They will never be good enough to get back to this um, unbroken union and relationship of intimacy between me and them. They will never be, they can never have good enough deeds. They can never, you know, have enough days where they don't do bad things. They'll never have that. And so that God said, I love you so much. I want the garden back. I want that perfect intimacy with you back. I'm gonna give my son. I'm gonna take him out of the perfect intimacy in heaven with me. And I'm gonna send him down to you into this broken, sin-scarred world. And he came, he was rejected by the people who should have loved him the most, his own family, the people who should have known everything about him because he was the king of the Jews, partnered with the Romans to see him crucified, not just for their sins, but for our sins. And the sins will come in the future so that anybody who puts their faith and trust and hope in him would be forgiven of all their sins in their past, all their sins in the moment, and all their sins for the future. And then could live not a for God only life, but actually a with God life. So that with the power of Christ now living in them, the one who conquered all of sin, all of death, all of temptation, they could actually be people who with Jesus at the center of their life would have surrender be something that was easy. That with Jesus at the center of their life, obedience could be joyful. That with Jesus at the center of their life, love could be natural. With Jesus at the center, being intentional would become just instinctual. And with Jesus at the center of their life, defending would be second nature because they realized how much was on the line. But here's the reality. Even when we talk about the gospel, when we go through all this, there's been men and women who for years have sat in chairs just like what you sit in and have believed all of the things that we've talked about in the series. They've gone, yes, that is true. I believe that. They said, I believed, but then here's the problem. Nothing changed in their life. Nothing. They believed it all, but nothing changed. And here is why that happened. It wasn't because they didn't have faith. Write this down. It was not because they didn't have faith. It was because they did not have a plan. See, everybody can sit on the sand and go, man, it's a really stupid idea to build my house here. But it's a whole different ball game to go, it's a really stupid idea to build my house here. And here's my plan to take my shovel, march up to the high ground and dig down deep into the solid ground so that this day forward, I will be found as someone shovel in hand, building my home on the firm foundation of this Christ. It's a whole different ball game to go, this is a bad idea and not do anything, then go, this is a bad idea. And here's my plan and here's where you can find me. So today, that's what I wanna lean into is what's the plan? And how can we from this day forward do something different? Because people have sat in similar places. They sat in the places that you have, they felt what you felt and they've got these moments where they've mustered up stuff and they felt kind of their heart beat a little faster in these moments and then they've went back to life. 
Anybody have life happen to them recently? You just like go out and you feel good. You leave out of here on a Sunday, then Monday happens. And life knocks you on your butt again. And it seems like it's just back to more of the same. Because, again, you can have hope, you can have faith, you can have Jesus, but you also have to have a plan. And, and here's the reason why you have to have a plan. Because no one feels their way into following Jesus. The feelings that you feel in here is not going to save you. The feelings that you fear in here are not going to change you either. No one feels their way into following Jesus. You follow. You have to follow to be a follower of Jesus. And we see this in the stories of his very first followers, four of them, James, John, and Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew, two sets of brothers. We see this in their story. I want to show it to you. If you've got a Bible, you can go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, Jesus is, is walking, and I don't think it is any coincidence that the first disciples he calls, he calls by a sea, and then at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about stuff that's happening by a sea, and there's a great crash. And again, I don't think that's just because of their topography, where they're at on the world. I think it's all part of God's grand plan. So Jesus is walking beside the Sea of the Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his other brother, other brother, Andrew, and they were casting net into the lake because they were fishermen. That was their identity. That's what they did. Here's what Jesus said to him. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, again, Jesus didn't say, guys, let me prove to you why I'm the Messiah. Guys, can you make a mental belief and assessment that I really am God's son? Let me give you a stat sheet of all the reasons. Let me show you all this. He just said, come and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. He says, I'll send you out for a greater purpose. I'll send you out to fish for something different. You're fishing for natural. I'll let you fish for something supernatural. And then we see what happens next. It's crazy. At once, they left their nets and followed him. How much in that verse do you see of like their theology? How much of that verse do you see of, of, of them, you know, sitting and going, hey, man, like, do you really think he's worth following? Do you, I mean, you think he's, you know, what do you think, man? Should we do this? Like, no, you just see like, they drop the nets and they follow him. They leave, they turn and they go. We see it again in this passage. Jesus doing more of the same. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. That's his call. And he's calling them. Um, the Greek word there is more of a beckoning. It's like, come on, let's go, let's do this. He called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left the tools of their trade and the family that they were made and they followed him. And again, one of the things we call us if we have put our trust in Jesus is say, we're a believer, we're a believer, we're a believer. Friend, you may be a believer. Are you a follower? Do you follow Jesus? Have you dropped your nets? Here's why I would say, and again, I don't say these things to make you be afraid that you're not saved, but... I say these things to point out the reality that if we just think some things, but we don't have a plan of action that makes us move into some things and we're not actually following, then maybe we're not followers. Because some of us, all of our faith is just wrapped around what we felt. And I think, here's maybe how it goes for you. I've seen this happen in, in my life at times, maybe even in yours. You're showing up 
And again, you don't have a net because you're modern. You have a fishing rod, all right? So you've got your fishing rod, so to speak, and everybody's got their fishing rod. And again, your pond, everybody's got a pond that they fish in. You're fishing in a pond for um, uh, approval. You're fishing in a pond for significance. You're fishing in a pond uh, for, for relationship, a new husband, a new wife. You're fishing in a pond for things. You're, you're fishing there for comfort, joy, all these things. This is what you're fishing for. And Jesus, for all of you, he walks up to you the same way he found James, John, Simon, Peter. He walks up on the shores of your life looks you eye to eye and goes, hey, I see you. Will you come and follow me? If you do, I'll take your life from fishing for natural things and I'll let you fish for the supernatural and I'll give you the things that are supernatural that you could never have got on your own from this pond. And here's what many of us do. Seriously, I feel like you are the savior I've always been looking for. I, I believe you. I believe in you. you. You are the son of God. And you went to the cross and you died to take away my sins. Let me pray this prayer and then we'll get there. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and you forgive me my sins. I give you my life. You're my savior. In your name, amen. And, and Jesus hears us do that. And then he's on his end. Like, again, we're still on the seashore here. Jesus is on his end going, yeah, come on, high five. And again, like, he's, he's pumped. He's ready. He's excited that you just said, yes, you were there. And then, you know what he does? He's like, let's go. And he looks back. And he's, <clears throat> come on. Like this, this was it, this is what we, come on, you just said it, you signed up for this. And, he, and he's like, come on, but, but we're here. We're like, oh, Jesus, okay, I see you, Jesus, I get you, bro. But listen, one, famous fisherman words, one more cast, just, just one more cast. Listen, I've caught some good things from here, and I just got a bite on some approval. I just got a bite on some relationship. I just got a bite on a new promotion. I just got a bite on some stuff, Jesus. I just got a bite. Let me just take a couple more casts. I promise. Stay right there. I'm coming. And we continue to fish and fish and fish and fish for the natural things that this world can offer. And we refuse to put the pole down and follow Jesus into a life where he invited us to be people who'd experience supernatural things. See, there was definitely a cost of discipleship for Peter, James, John, Andrew. There was totally a cost of discipleship. They had to tell, they kissed mom and dad. They, they didn't kiss mama goodbye. Maybe they, you know, high five, shook dad's hand, and be like, thanks for offering the business to me. I'm gonna go follow this guy I just met. Whatever it was, there was definitely, and hear me, same way for them, it's gonna be for you. There's gonna be a cost to discipleship. There's gonna be a cost to following Jesus. There always is. But what I want you to understand so many people miss out on this. While the cost of discipleship is great, the cost of non-discipleship is far greater. You have no idea the things that you are missing out on because you refuse to fully surrender to Jesus and drop the pole. You have no idea the things that you're missing out on by saying, I just wanna fish for some more of my daddy's approval. I just wanna fish for a little bit more of this thing to work out. I wanna fish for a little bit more promotion. Let me get up to this level and then I'll do it. You have no idea the things that you're missing out on for Christ. I guarantee if you would ask Chuck Rutledge 15 years ago, if he ever thought that he would be in a baptism pool baptizing an 89-year-old woman alongside of a pastor, he would have thought you were crazy and he would have told you he was crazy because of where he was then. 
That's what I'm telling you. You have no idea the cost of non-discipleship and the things you'll miss out on. So what I want to help us walk into is a plan because there's going to be invitation for everybody. A lot of people know about the 12 disciples. You guys know about the 12 disciples, right? Have you ever heard the story about the guy who could have been the 13th? You may have heard it, but you don't realize you've heard it. There's this guy who could have been the 13th disciple. And um, we call his story the story about the rich young ruler. But I want to fast forward a little bit and show you his story. So he shows up, and this is a guy who, who wants to know for sure. The same question we all want to know. Where am I going to go when I die? Like, I want heaven. I want a good ending. Anybody else want a good ending to their life? Yeah, me too. We all kind of want a good ending to our life. And he does too. He's a young guy. He wants to make sure he's all squared away. He's buttoned up. And he says, teacher, he declared, I've, de- I've kept all these since I was a boy. And so Jesus, you know, basically when he said, hey, I want to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, keep all the commandments. And, the, and this guy, again, a little proud, he says, I've com- kept all these commandments since I was a boy. And again, I, if I'm Jesus, then I'm going, I had no idea you were me. Um, <laughs> Pride comes before the fall, big fella. Uh, and again, what's cool is Jesus says none of that. He, he is very tender with this young man. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. Because here's what I bet Jesus saw in that young man. He saw a young man who grew up with a father who was a perfectionist. And his identity was based off what rules he could keep. And he never felt more rejected than when we broke one. And he shows up to Jesus thinking he's gonna be the same type of guy who only cares about what he does and what he hasn't done. And Jesus goes, no. <laughs> the whole reason I walked you through all these commandments was just to, was to show to you that you can't keep them, but pride's still blinding you, man. And he looks at him, he loves him. And he says, okay, let, let's play. One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Again, the cost of non-discipleship is always greater than the cost of discipleship. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I really do believe this, this, this guy showing up to Jesus. He believed in him probably more than some of us believe in him. And Jesus says, all right, cool. Here's a plan. Sell what you got. And again, that's not, Jesus doesn't tell everybody to sell what we got. He knew this was part of this guy's hangup. He says, sell what you got, come and follow me. Essentially his invitation. You wanna be the number 13 guy? You can be the 13 guy. Sell what you got and come and follow me. And the story ends very sadly. It says this man went away sad because he had great possession. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and he tells them this thing. He goes, it is harder for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the evil. And he turns and he goes, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. Which leans into this, this point here that Jesus isn't gonna change your life for you. He, he, he's not, he didn't say to the man, okay, you're good, you wanna follow me, here's what I'm gonna do. I got bank routing numbers just on lock in heaven's mind. I'm just, you, if you're cool with this, I'm just gonna blop and all those things are gonna be gone. Everything's gonna be there and everything else. So he said, I need you to go and look at your books. I need you to go and post your possessions on Facebook Marketplace. I need you to go and get rid of these things, to go, go and get out of your highfalutin neighborhood and go to the poor and shake hands and hand them things. I need you to do these things. He's not gonna change your life for you. But before you go like, well, well is he gonna save me at all? Or is he gonna change me at all? Here's what I need you to know. Jesus is gonna change your life with you. That's why, what did he invite the rich young ruler to do? He said, go sell your stuff and follow me. Then we'll change. You'll, if you're, there's no way 
Hear me on this, fellas. There's no way you can follow Jesus and not change. Some of you are like, why am I not changing? Follow Jesus. Follow him. Follow him. You already believe enough that you need to believe. I promise. Follow him. Follow. Follow him. So your rate of change, though, your rate at which you will change is directly correlated to how willing you are to surrender, to let go. That was the thing that held back the rich young ruler, and it'll be the same thing that holds back you. I look around in a room like this, and a bunch of you guys in the room, man, I know who you are. Ladies in the room, too, I know your names, know your stories. That's one of the things I love about MCC. It's, 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 it's not too big that I can't know some of you, and it's not so small that I know all of you. Um, but the ones I do know, I would be willing to bet that every person in this room, you genuinely want to be a good man. You genuinely want your kids to stand up at your funeral and go, he was a great dad. You don't even want him to have to say things like we all, man, he didn't get it right all the times, but he had a good heart. I don't want, heaven forbid, somebody say that at my funeral. Because what that is, is that's, that's their wanting to be nice at a funeral, filling in the gaps for my lack of character and love for them. Far be it from you, far be it from me that somebody says his heart was in the right place. He had a good heart. No, I want him I want to be a man who has good hands. I want to be a man who showed up. I want to be a man who was there for him. I want to be a man who invested the time and took the time and, and, and was there. Because in following Jesus, I'm following the things that he values and he cares about. So while I know that in this room, there's people who are going, yeah, I want to be that. I want to make those changes. I want to do those things. The reality is life is still going to hit you. And when it hits you, we've got to have a plan. So today I want to walk you through a passage in scripture. What I think can give you a place where your heart cannot fade out, be burned out, because life is gonna get you. You're gonna get back into some, um, you're gonna leave out of here and go, okay, man, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna do this. And then that same old sin's gonna sneak up. And you're gonna fall. Satan's gonna go, I told you, told you. But this passage, Paul wrote to a church who was facing persecution, just like you're gonna go out and face persecution. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's where we get steel in our spine. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I want to walk you through in this passage, it's bound up a few things that I believe can totally let us say, okay, I wanted to do it. I believed it was the right thing to do. And then I had a plan. Here's part of the plan. First one is you've got to make sure you are aiming at the right target. You've got to aim at the right target. And see, for most of us men in the room, our target is super broad. We just say, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good man. I want to have a good job. First of all, whose definition of good are you going off of? Is good just better than your parents before, your daddy before you? What's good? Just being a good man, just being a good dad is far too broad. Aim at Jesus. I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can for my church. I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can for my spouse. I want to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can for my future wife, future family, future kids and grandkids. That's my target. That's what I'm aiming at. And that's why 
in this passage of Hebrews, he said, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. The, the Greek word there for fix is almost like, fellas, imagine if you're hunting and you're actually looking at something way downrange, you're checking it out through a scope. It's saying, I, I'm not seeing all these other types of things. I'm not concerned with what my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law. I'm not concerned about all these other different things that are going on. The, the, the thing that I am most focused in, that I am zeroed in on, is Jesus. I am fixing my eyes on him. And he says, okay, this is who that Jesus is. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer part, that means that Jesus is the one who has actually blazed the trail that you could never blaze. He stood in the wilderness that is life on planet earth. The infestation of sin, temptation, and things that all want to take you out. He stood, he tiptoed that line when he came to earth, grew up, went through puberty, went through all the things that you would go through, and then stood at the line of life that is manhood and blazed that trail without even getting nicked by sin once. Since that trail has been blazed, and then on the other end of it, he ran it back and gave his life, died, buried, resurrected. Now that trail has been blazed back and forward so that you can go, okay, here's the trail. And definitely in this life that is manhood in 2022, there is going to be on both sides of us, hell and all of its temptation. But right there in front of us is a path. And the only way we stay on that path is if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. He's a pioneer of our faith. He's a forerunner of our faith. He's a trailblazer of our faith. And what I love here is he's also the perfecter of our faith, which lets me take a deep breath. And I think should let you take a deep breath. That I'm not, you're not the perfecter of your faith. Your, your job and your role is to not get your faith perfectly right. That's him. Jesus is not gonna give you something that you can't handle and you can't hold. He's the perfecter of his faith. And through perfect faith, he came to earth. Through perfect faith, he lived this life. Through perfect faith, he gave that life upon a cross. And through perfect faith, he rose again. And then sent the Holy Spirit into you so that you could be being perfected by faith in him as you follow after the one who's a pioneer. So, all right, let me get really practical. What in the world does this look like to fix my eyes on Jesus? How do I do that? Plain and simple, guys, you've got to know who he is. Like you've got to know who Jesus is, what he did, what he stood for, what he was about, what were his deep values. And most of us, we don't know those things because we're never in the word. So again, simple thing, part of the plan. What's part of the plan? Step one, get in the word. You gotta know that you're aiming at the right target and you won't know what that target is if you don't see it in the word. So again, I, I, guys, I can't, I can't tell you how this works, but I can tell you unequivocally, some of the old saints who've been walking with Jesus for a little while will tell you the exact same thing. Something just changes when you get into God's word. I can tell you I'm a better husband, I'm a better baseball coach, I'm a better dad, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better leader when I'm consistently in God's word. And nothing changes overnight. It's not just some boom, I sprinkled Bible dust on my life and I just magically got better. That is not how it works. But I can tell you over time, things radically change. You walk into situations and you're like, oh man, last time I was here, I did X, Y, Z. And this time I was here and that wasn't even on the table. And the reason that happened because God used his word to cut out some of the infected things in your heart and your life. That's what he said his word would do. Hebrews 4.12 says this, it says, for the word of God is alive. It's alive. It's alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even into the dividing souls and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So what he's after here is God's word. And this is how I would say it. 
oftentimes we think, like, I don't want to go to God's work because I'm going to just feel conviction. I'm going to feel worse about things I'm already doing. Listen, hear me on this. Every single person in this room, man, woman, boy, girl, you have wounds. Satan wants to allow your wounds to become infected with the dirt and filth of this earth. That's how he wants to be. Think about the gross. Somebody said, yeah, let's go there. Think about how gross and disgusting an infected wound looks. And then welcome to Facebook. That's, this, that's welcome to what we see online. Welcome to what we see on TV. This, these are wounds that Satan has allowed to become infected. And what God's word has done in my life, and I'm praying and believing can do in your life, is it, and again, listen to the terminology. It's not a bomb. It's not a, a, a 40 cal, like it is something that is precise. So precise that it can work like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon and go to the wound and slightly but so precisely cut out all the infected parts of the wound so that it can heal back up. And then Jesus, by the power of his blood to heal that wound, by his wounds, we are healed. Then that wound becomes a weapon. The next time that Satan tries to attack us are the ones we love. I think one of the things we fail to realize when it comes to God's word and our sin is that the Bible actually has more power to bring about good in your life than sin has power to bring about bad in your life. Listen, sin is totally strong. Sin is, is, it will undermine your life. It will wreck your future and your family's future. It will throw generations of generations of garbage into your family tree. Sin is powerful, like no doubt, it is powerful. But what we fail to realize is that God's word is more powerful than even the effects of sin in your life. Some of you have habits and addictions that have been part of your life, sin habits have been part of your life for years and years and years and years and years. And you wonder, why does anything change? Why can't I get out? Why can't I get out of this? There's power in God's word, power to overcome even the most vile, addictive tendency, power to overcome the most strong feelings of depression and anxiety, power to overcome the strongest fear you may feel. There's power in the word of God, power. And so when we think about this, my encouragement is to say, we gotta start somewhere. My best suggestion, fellows in the room, I'm gonna make it really practical for Like if you wanna know the character of Jesus, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those are all the stories of Jesus. You know, if you start at Matthew, you're just gonna start reading about, hey, I feel like I've read this before. Yes, they're just three different directors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or four different directors, take on Jesus' life for their different audience. If you want the shortest one to say, hey, I actually read the Bible, go to Mark, it's the shortest one. It's a very action-packed Bible. It's like, and then, and then, and then, and then. Go to Mark, read it. Get to know the character of Christ to make sure you're actually aiming at the right target. Second thing, second step of the plan is get surrounded. You've got to actually get surrounded because you cannot do this alone. Again, look at where this was at in our passage. Get surrounded, Hebrews 12, one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let me explain to you what in the world this is after here. So this is Hebrews 12. If you go to Hebrews 11, there's this, there's this chapter and it's referred to as the Hall of Faith. Now they have the Hall of Fame, baseball in Cooperstown, all the great baseball players. It's essentially this whole chapter about all the people in the Old Testament who were heroes of the faith, who did amazing things. And a lot of times people can come to this passage and go, okay, so we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. All the people like Noah and Moses and Abraham and Enoch and David, they're like in the stands and people preach this passage being like, they're cheering you on, man. They're seeing what's going on in your life and they're cheering you on. I don't know about you fellas, but that sounds terrifying. Like it's bad enough to know that God and Jesus see the messed up things I do in my life, to know that like Noah's up there going, oh gosh, send a whale. Let him, let him get in a whale for a little while. Let him get in a whale. Like I don't, that's not, and nowhere else in scripture is that whole thing backed up. 
that like heaven has, the, the heroes in heaven are up there looking at us and cheering us on. No, it's not that they are witnessing our life. It's that their witness is supposed to impact our life. We're supposed to look at what they did, look at how they lived and be reminded. Here, here, here's what we're reminded of. We're reminded that it's worth it to not throw in the towel. We're reminded through guys like Jonah that even in your darkest moments inside the belly of a whale, prayer can still get you spit out and put back on the shore to go obey God. That even in our brokenness and running the opposite direction of God, he still hunts, he still pursues. That even for a guy like David, who let a sexual addiction completely undermine and jack up his family, he is still referred to as a man who is after God's own heart. All of those guys, they bear witness to the fact that it's worth it to hold on to faith. So we, guys, we have to be surrounded. So what does that look like? There's a simple principle that is not just bound up in dead guys in the Bible, but in real life human beings. Then the same principle is that you will exponentially increase your chances of hitting the target you're aiming at if you have a good instructor and you're surrounded by people, especially men of God, who are aiming at the same target. All right, say that again. You will exponentially increase your chances of hitting the target of life that you're aiming at, Jesus, if you have a good instructor and you're surrounded by other people who are aiming at the exact same thing. So here's what that looks like. How do I get around good instruction? I would say, make it a point to have your family gather together to worship God in church every week. Every week, yes. You're fooling yourself if you think coming in once a week is gonna change a whole lot in your life. Again, we talked about this last week. Go and experience all of the things of media, TikTok, the hours I spend on my phone. I'm gonna have all that input in my life and then I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna let 30 minutes, 34, you know, an hour just magically poof, reconstruct and refigure all that. No, one, one, one Sunday may not be what changes, but I guarantee you 50 can. Here's what I can say. Like, I don't know how much and to what extent reading the Bible and going to church is actually gonna change your life. But here's what I can guarantee and promise, fellas, not doing those things guarantees it will stay the same and probably get worse. I can promise you that based off of my own experience. As far as the instructing side of things, Here's my promise to you. I can't speak on behalf of every single church, but you have my promise that with every amount of time, energy, and breath that I have over the course of my week, I will pour myself into God's word to figure out how I can preach it in a way that will help you. And then I will show you my life and how far and how close I measure up to it so that you can say, hey, if God can do something like that and a guy like that, then maybe he can do something with me as well. That's my promise to you. And again, I can't speak for every church. I don't know what's going on out there. And again, I'm not, I, I just have to leave this one, thank God for right now. But here's what I can tell you. You're not just surrounded by somebody or you're, you don't just have one person who's gonna pour godly instruction in your life and me and whatever Bible teacher you have at our church or community group leader, whatever. You also are surrounded by a group of people, men of God who are aiming at the same thing. That's been what's so encouraging to see as we've gathered together men on, on Tuesday mornings, just men, man. Like sometimes I think honestly, we could just come and sit down in the room and just look around and go, man, I felt like I was the only guy who was trying to be pure. I felt like I was the only guy who was trying to figure this thing out. I felt like I was the only guy, but I can look around this room and go, man, I'm not the only one. There's some other men of God who are aiming at the same target, who are running after the same thing I'm running after. And I'm telling you, nothing exponentially increases your chance of hitting the target you're aiming at, like being surrounded by people who are aiming at the exact same thing. And so, I wanna do what I can to be able to help with that because I know 6.30 a.m. just doesn't work for some people. And some of you, it doesn't work for you because you don't want it to work for you. Um, 
But some of you, you're in danger, right? Because, because every man's famous last words go like this. This is, this is the famous last words. I got this. Oh, man, I could do it. Look, I don't need to get in a group. I, I got this. I got this. And we say we've got it, and we just kind of move on. And then what happens when you don't got this? Nobody's there to help you out of what, you, what got you. And you're alone. You're broken. And so this is what I want to I wanna hope, hope I can lean into. This simple principle that iron sharpens iron. It's one man sharpens another. Now, I put that in the ESV because if you're reading in the NIV, it says one, it says iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. Now, again, I love, the, I love these words and everything else, but the original word there is man. And I think the point that Proverbs, written by Solomon, King David's son, is actually getting after there is there are things, men, there are things that you can only get from other men and being surrounded by other men. I can get a lot of things from Jessica, but sharp, I don't think is really one of them. There's a certain strength that I can never get from her and it has nothing to do with her as my wife. We can get a lot of things for the women and children in our life, but there are some things, there is a certain type of strength that you cannot tap into unless you have some other men around you. So I don't want any man to get left behind because I know 630 doesn't work for everybody. And so here's what I wanna do. If you're here, you're a man in the room and you're like, hey, I need something. Like I don't, I know 6:30 won't work for me. I gotta have something though. I want to try to figure something out to where we can get you. Wait, where'd it go? There it is. Boom. Text this. If you're here and you're going like, hey, I cannot meet at 6:30 in the morning. I want to find a way to get you in some sort of group where you can be surrounded by uh, whether it's me giving a little bit of instruction and us getting into a group. I want to find a way to get you into this because trust me, guys, you need this. So text man up 770 450. One, five, five, five. It'll ask you a couple of things, trying to find a way to be able to make it in. Because I, I will never let it be said of me that I let some men get left behind. That I said, hey, here's the only way this is gonna work and I'm not gonna try to work with you to meet you in the middle. And so this is me doing everything I can as a pastor of your church to meet you in the middle so that you have no excuse if this is what you wanted. And so we're gonna find a way, whatever we gotta do to make it work. You guys got that? Cool. All right. Last thing, last part of the step, probably the hardest part, get rid of the dead weight and shame. Got to get rid of the dead weight and shame. Never going to be able to run the plan, never going to be able to dig, never going to be able to build the house with dead weight and shame. Listen to the last part of this. He says, okay, we got to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, finisher of our faith. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, now he tells us what we need to do. Okay, so we've got to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So pay attention to something here. This is why I said the dead weight and the shame. So he says, throw us everything that hinders. And then he says, and the sin. Which, in my opinion, he's talking about things that are just dead weight in our life that are not necessarily even sin. Just baggage. Just circumstances. Just, well, I'm an Enneagram 3, so I have a performance-based identity. Or I'm whatever, or I've scored this, or I, I got, uh, you know, this thing, or I have a DUI on my record, or I, you know, I've been divorced. Well, those are things that happen. There's not a new sin that's still occurring in that, but you're letting that become dead weight in your life. And he says, this is hindering you. It's holding you back from being who you could be. And then I think the thing that is most debilitating, he says, and the sin that so easily entangles and I don't think it's necessarily from this side of things of running the plan. This is where this is the thing that I think has the most potential to trip us up and undermine everything we would do. It's when we start getting going and some sort of failure happens. And we get punched back in the face with life 
And that thing inside of us, whether Satan, whether it's our own twisted, messed up flesh, goes, I told you so. I told you, man. This isn't for you. Get back in your lane. Now hear me. You are not your past. You're not your past. God, God is a, our God is a from this moment forward kind of God. And I love that about him. And that's the whole reason we're leaning into the things we're leaning here. That we have a from this day forward, from this moment forward kind of God who draws a line of sin and says, I have already forgiven your past. It's done. It's over with. From this moment forward, will you follow me? You're not what's been done wrong to you and you're not what you've done wrong. I love what um, Paul said in Philippians 3.13. He got this and he knew it was like to be you and me. And this is what he wrote this to everybody. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take him hold of it. He's talking, the it is like perfect life, righteousness. I ain't got it yet. And again, this is Paul, okay? So if Paul's going, I ain't got it yet, deep breath, it's okay to be you. Consider, I don't, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and this is the one thing we got to do. Look, look, look at it. Forget what is behind, straying towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize that God has called me heavenward in Christ. Let's go back to see that again. I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. Strain. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be strain. This is why you gotta have people around you. But we strain towards what is ahead. Here's why we strain. To take, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. There's a prize. Again, the cost of non-discipleship is always greater than the cost of discipleship. There's a prize for you, sir. There's a prize. It's locking eyes with your, with your father. He tells you the words that every son wants to hear. Well done, good and faithful son. I'm so proud of you. And God's called you heaven for that in Christ Jesus. So for me, I don't know where you land on this, but one of the things that's been powerful in my life to combat along, along with scripture, to combat the lies of the enemy are, are declarations. Just things that when those things come, I can lean into it that supplement along with scripture. And one of the things on this that has just been huge in my life because I've got the propensity to define my life by everything that's already happened in my life is this. It's a simple refusal to say, I refuse to let the lies and condemnation of my past or current mistakes continue to define or condemn my present or my future. That is in Christ. He defines me. He and he alone defines me. So I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to let anything else define me other than him. So the plan here. To release what's on, release what's happened, to press on towards a goal. And fellas, what I want to lean us into today is a kind of line in the sand moment. You know, this whole series has been about solid ground and saying, I refuse to build on the sand where it's easy. I refuse to to take this life that you've given me, Jesus, and, and just go the easy route of just thinking some things about you, but I'm gonna choose instead to do the harder, more intense work of going and digging down deep to build my life, not in the sand, but on solid ground. So what I'm inviting you men to do is to step up and to step into that, to kind of have this moment where we say, not on my watch, 
It will not be said of me and my family and the men who come behind me, the family who comes behind me, the grandkids who come behind me. It will not be said of me that I was a man who built my life on the sand, but I was a man who built my life on the solid ground that is surrendered obedience to Jesus. And here's my hope. Here's my hope. It's that you will be able to look back on this moment right here and go, that was the moment when something began to change. I wasn't perfect from that moment forward, but that was the moment when something began to change. I began to make commitments. I didn't just take the things that I felt in my mind and say, ah, it's okay, but I began to make a plan. I began to get strategic. I began to ask for help. I began to surrender. I began to confess. I began to actually have faith in the God who I said I had faith in because my faith didn't just turn to feelings. It was actually played out in trust and in following. And friend, You can take the same old shovel that Satan used to bury you in shame and lies. And you can pick it up and say, no, I'm building my house on a new place. So here's what I'm inviting you to. As the band gets ready to lead us in this song that makes this declaration, um, can we put the lyrics up there? There you go, thank you guys. I will build my life upon your love. Again, you're not building on your works, You're not building on your pedigree, your ability, none of that. (laughs) I saw a quote, I think Steve sent it or posted it on Facebook. Um, Fellas, the good thing about God is he has already factored your stupidity into your calling. He's already, like like he knows who you are. Like he's factored all of your shortcomings, all your predispositions. He's factored every bit of that into your calling. And he, so here's where we're at. We can either continue to have doubts and go, oh no, that's, I can't do this, it's too much for me. And, and, and let our confidence and our trust in God go down. But here's what you gotta understand that's happening with that. That's not humility. That's calling God a liar. If he says, this is your family, this is your church, this is your job, these are your resources. And we go, no, I don't deserve this, I can't do it, blah, blah, blah. No, you're not just being slightly negative, you're calling God a liar. Because why would he call you to something if that's not what he had already factored in the reality of? So listen, step up, step in. He's there with you. You're gonna get a room full of men around you. And today is the day. We're gonna sign these. Um, I'd invite you, there's still some room left. First service, you know, got these things all marked up. Um, Try to get as much as you can on the silver part. If we gotta go up to the handle, that's fine. Um, But do this, take communion. Don't come up and make this commitment in a room full of people before you first and foremost make this commitment to Jesus. To everybody else in the room, um, ladies in the room, man, and, and again, if you're like a 12-year-old boy in this room, get your tail up here. Like, you're a, you're a man in training, fella. So, so come on. Um, ladies in the room, I say this as a son of a single mama. It's a big part of me that's doing this for you. I don't want anybody to grow up in what I grew up in. And I believe the church is part of the change. And I believe it starts today. Not just for us, not just so our church feels better about things, but so the city looks different. So that we are a light on the world, light of the world. That when people think about what's a godly man look like, that they could walk in here and figure it out. So I invite you, receive communion, pray, connect with Jesus. Know that the whole reason we have solid ground to build on is because his blood was spilt upon it. His body was broken, nailed to a cross that stood in that ground so that we could have a life could be built on that ground. Let's pray. After you receive communion, man, I invite you to come up, sign a shovel as a declaration today, physically putting to what your mind was already thinking, that I'm gonna dig in and I'm gonna dig deep. 
from this moment forward, you will find me not on the shore, but in the hills, digging deep to the solid ground of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, move in the hearts of your people today, not just men, move in the hearts of all of us, Jesus. Let's all be willing to take a step forward into what you're calling us to, to not sit idly by, but to make the plans, to make the change. To know you not just called us to, to believe some things about you, but you called us to follow you. And that's gonna take dropping nets. It's gonna take dropping fishing poles. It's gonna take dropping debit cards, dropping hopes, dropping dreams, dropping uh, sin, dropping all these things. God, to say, we will follow you. We release, we forget what is behind and we press on towards the goal for which you have called us heavenward. And as we worship you in these moments, Jesus, let us get a little glimpse of what heaven is gonna be like as your people from all tribes, tongues and nations, different skin colors, backgrounds and financial stability. We all come in together and we lift our voices to the one true king who is worthy above all praise. In your name.